we don't understand um, the two individuals that are sitting in front of me right now. So as we get this show going, you already know who this is. This is Jabari K. Smith, and you are listening to The Professional Athlete. And today I have with me Adam and Amanda Barr will raise the bar financial group. What's going on, y'all? Hey, 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 thank you for having us on the show today. Definitely, definitely. All right, we're going to get right into it because, like, I'm sitting in front of two elite athletes and I'm sitting into, in front of two elite entrepreneurs. So we're going to talk a little about business. We're going to talk about sports. But most importantly, we're going to talk about life. So share with me, Adam, a little bit about your background. Israel, right? Right. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I grew up in uh, the Holy Land in a little tiny village in uh, Israel. Yes. Uh, very humble beginning. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that, because I, I want to know your journey. How did you get over here to, to America? So um, I grew up in a very tough neighborhood in Israel, mm-hmm. um, small place. Uh, you can kind of see the end of the country if you uh, stand in a, a rooftop of a 10-story building. Wow. Uh, very, very small. And um, um, I was. Uh, I grew up very religious. Mm-hmm. My father became religious when I was about eight years old, okay. and put me in a religious school, and um, kind of rebelled a little bit, right. uh, like we all do. <laughs> yeah. Right? And uh, but uh, you know, I wanted to uh, keep focus, so I, I um, had a mentor who uh, taught me a little bit about bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get to it to. Uh, overcome some of the bullying that I went through in school and kind of caught the bug of, of uh, exercising and bodybuilding. Got you. So you mentioned bodybuilding. So it was your mentor that introduced you to it or that you was like, bodybuilding is my outlet? Bodybuilding was was my outlet, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that at the time. So Got I just, you. you know, was finding ways to work out and exercise with, with um, push-ups, pull-ups, um, you know, sit-ups, right. things that were available to me at the time. And then later on, I found a mentor who was Mr. Europe at the time. And wow. That, that, that's what started me in the professional wow. route. Yeah. What's the chances of you being introduced to Mr. Europe? <laughs> you know, that was, that was a crazy, crazy um, situation because I was... I, did, I couldn't afford going to a gym. Right. And so... I uh, bartered with the gym owner at the time that if he would let me uh, pick up the weights at the end of the day and mm-hmm. clean out the, you know, the place, right. um, you know, in turn, if he would let me work out there. Wow. So you were already uh, working deals. Yeah, I was, <laughs> already, I was already working <laughs> deals, right? Uh, hustling, right? Yeah. And um, so he agreed to that. Yeah. He said, you know, I, said, he, I said to him, I have a dream. I wanted to be the number one. Um, professional bodybuilder in Israel. And wow. I was maybe 13, 14 years old. Wow. And um, one day I work out and I see this guy who had massive, massive quads wow. doing the squats, I think with like almost 800 pounds. Wow. And I'm looking at this guy and everybody's, you know, around them. Yeah. This was at a time where this was still a little bit underground. This mm. is like we're talking about over 20 something years ago, right? Right. And, um, I'm looking at this guy and I say, I want to be like this guy when, when you know, in, in, when I was 18, 19 years old. And so everybody was laughing, but I got an introduction to him and, and you know, we, he invited me to have a conversation. We, he said, you know, you have some, some you know, uh, good genetics and mm-hmm. I think if you have the right guidance, you could be something special. Wow. So you two hit it off right off the bat? Yeah. 
Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So I wonder what was it that you said to him that impressed him for him to take you under his wing? Do you remember how that conversation went? I do remember. I said, you know, I'm the kind of person that if I'm going to commit to something, mm. I'm going to go and give him my all and go all the way. And I will be the youngest Mr. Israel in history. Wow. And I would like for you to train me and coach me. Yeah, I think I would have said yes, too. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have been like, meet me here at 5 in the morning. You know how you get to the show. That's talk. exactly what <laughs> exactly so it was. It's like Rocky Balboa Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. Like, yeah. exactly what happened. Wow. So bodybuilding Israel was, well, you said that was underground at the time. What was the most popular sport in Israel at the time? Um, basketball, actually, is wow. very popular in Israel. As you know, they won the European Championship right. a number of times. Right. And soccer is really the main the main sport right. in Israel. Wow, wow! And you chose bodybuilding, and then, and humu- and then hummus and shawarma. Wait, what is that? <laughs> Wait, hold on, say, say that slower. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it's food. It's it's like f- it's actual uh, Mediterranean food. Oh, okay, so gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is that? Eating hummus and shawarma. Okay, gotcha. It's meat and uh, chickpeas food. Awesome, awesome. So. You said you wanted to be the number one body, the youngest and the number one bodybuilder in Israel. Did that happen? Yes. So the first time that I tried it, it was I was 16 years old, and wow. that didn't happen. I, won, I actually won the fourth place in Israel. Mm-hmm. It was, um, you know, really dealing with the giants of the industry mm-hmm. at the time, and I was this little 16-year-old, like all scared and anxious and and, um, you know, with the coaching and mentorship of that guy, I, I placed fourth. Okay. And that was kind of the fuel to say, okay, great. Now I know exactly what it is to be on stage. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what conditioning is. I know exactly what disciplines I have to adapt. Um, and then I took that back. You know, that wasn't a failure that I said, okay, that's it. I'm done. Right. Uh, but I took that and, and I kind of hid myself for about three years and worked out without nobody <laughs> knowing, didn't show myself to anybody, didn't, was wearing like all like baggy clothes that yeah. people wouldn't know. And then I came back at 19 years old and I took the, co- the overall competition. Wow. And, uh, you know, I got uh, pictures at the time at uh, Flex magazines, mm-hmm. and I got sponsorships from Europe. I was th- the first Israeli ever to um, to get a sponsorship from Europe. Wow. I can imagine that. Like, like I said, because I know, I know I've been knowing you for a while, so I know your personality. I can see you just hiding everything. Right. Like, just wait. I'm going to show them. <laughs> I'm covering everything up. You get to the competition. It's just like, bam, bam. Like, oh, my goodness. What has this guy been doing? Yeah, <laughs> was know, it kind of like that? That's exactly how it happened. Actually, I, was, I got laughed at, you know, wow. because, you know, when you do the conditioning, when you do depletion, when you actually – you go from off season where you really you get really really big into like you know dieting and actually it looks like when you wear clothes it doesn't you don't look so big right right compared to the others right, right? but you're like absolutely at about four percent body fat it's like wow. the, the skin is so tight you can wow. see everything underneath and Ooh, can you so, take me through the preparation of that? Like I said, I'm I'm not too familiar with bodybuilder but I know it takes a lot. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So it's um. It's waking up in the morning, early, mm-hmm. um, doing cardio, um, eating about seven meals a day. It, has, it all has to be weighted and the proportion and the ratios between carbohydrates to protein to good fats um, has to be like 
perfect every day. Wow. Um, and then you have to learn how to trick the body. It's very, very <laughs> scientific. You really have to know not only the general stuff, but how your body responds to, to um, conditioning and to different changes, even minor changes. Wow. And so, you know, I used to eat probably about 24 to 36 eggs a day. Whoa. Two chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, man. What's, how was that grocery bill? Who was paying for this, man? Like, my mom, you know, my mom was, like, she actually, you know, we didn't have money. She got into debt to help mm -hmm. me. Like, she, she saw how passionate I was about this and how committed. Right. And, you know, it took us years and years to pay it off later. But, but you know, we were, we were all running towards it together. And, wow. and it was her support that really made it happen. Wow. That's amazing. So, like, you were literally the scientist and the lab rat. Right. <laughs> I was the scientist, the lab rat. It's, it's, oh, everybody kind of pulled their, you know, resources and mentorship. Even my trainer was mm -hmm. like, whenever I didn't have protein, he was like, hey, here's a can of tuna. Hey, right. let, let me invite you to, like, a... Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Well, listen, I'm going to I'm going to get a little bit more into your bodybuilding career, but let me introduce <laughs> Amanda. Yeah. How are you? I'm fantastic. So here goes the other secret. <laughs> Amanda was also an athlete. <laughs> Share with us a little bit about your background and the sport you played as well. So my background is I grew up in Oklahoma. Mm. And most people obviously think of Oklahoma as being the country, mm -hmm. and it is. <laughs> um, I actually took Adam there, and he was like, well, this is the country. This is the country. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> really, the country. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I grew up actually traveling all over the United States. My, my uh, stepfather had a position where we were traveling um, every other you know, few months. So one thing that kind of was a thread through all of our travels was we had horses. And we would either ha ha have a place where we were going that had horses or we had horses back home. And I w was riding at a very young age. I think the first picture of me was probably that I remember was on a horse. Wow. Other than like when I was a baby. Wow. And um, when I got into college, um, I actually played basketball throughout high school. But when I went to college, those girls were, they were <laughs> big they were strong Absolutely. and i was not prepared my coach said you need to probably go into academics <laughs> that's what he told me and so uh but what was exciting was when i was at college somebody was making fun of there being a polo team at our school because we're in the country i went to oklahoma state university go pokes i know right yeah <laughs> i told you to hide it from me oh, yeah. <laughs> i don't worry well i was there we split the difference y'all won the first game we won, we won the second year it's all good <laughs> so yeah, so when we were, um, when I was at school, somebody was making fun of there being a polo team. I said, I'm sorry, what did you say? There's a polo team? So I looked him up. I said, how do I get on the team? And I called him up and they said, get your boots on and come out and get on a horse. Mm. So I was, that afternoon, I got my boots, ran out of the house, and I was on a horse that afternoon. And uh, they said, well, you know, you got some skill. I said, but I don't know the game. Right. I don't know anything about this. And you're going to start your season in like, you know, 
a month. Wow. And they and so in one month I learned I learned the game. I was riding every day and I actually started um on the team that year that I joined. Wow. Do you think what gave you an advantage is because like you said, I mean you were riding horses probably as early as three or four. Is that what kind of you didn't yeah. have to learn how to ride a horse, you just had to learn the game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the only thing I had to do was learn how to how to play the game and how to do it right because it's a dangerous sport. You have yes. eight horses. We played four on four. So you had eight horses and you would ride your horses what they call chuckers, mm-hmm. not like a quarter right. or anything. They were called chuckers. So we would play for a chucker and then you would switch and you'd ride the other team's horses. So you really? actually, yeah, because it was college okay. and we didn't have enough ponies. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> gotcha. When, when you get to the professional level, those guys have a good fleet of their own horses that right. they're riding. But at the college level, you actually switch horses. So you have to actually be quite the horseman to be able to switch horses throughout the game and ride horses you've never been on before ever wow and play wow so it was it was quite the experience i think that i'm forever thankful for the opportunity and to be able to walk away going yeah i played that definitely crazy sport. definitely so so playing polo when because you started late i mean started in college mm-hmm. did you adapt a passion for it or was this something that was just fun what was your take on it you know, I I was very passionate about, especially during playing. Mm-hmm. I think we were playing almost every weekend. We were traveling all over the Big 12 to, to play in tournaments. So, yeah, I, I have a passion now today. I've been down to the fields in our area. They wow. have a few, San Diego, Carpinteria, Will Rogers close to us. There are um, professionals playing, and I always think, you know, Maybe I'll I'll pick it back up again. Yeah, right. Uh, but you know, life takes over, and you have a business, and that's important. And taking care of horses is. My mom's like, I'll send you our last one. I said, What am I gonna do? Tie her up to the tree? Right, right. Like, <laughs> we're in the city, we're not in the country. We're in the city. We'll park him in Beverly Hills, <laughs> right in where they'll ride. Right next to Dijon Yellow Car. No, right in front of the polo store. Exactly. Absolutely. Be like, how'd you get to work today? I rode. I rode. So I, man. I'm s- polo and bodybuilding like this is so interesting because like I thought that I was diverse in sports because I played a little bit of lacrosse just recreation um, basketball football track and some baseball but I mean like bodybuilding I mean you know football players have to lift weights but bodybuilding yeah. I wasn't eating 32 <laughs> eggs man and horseback riding like I actually rode horses at the school awesome. I was in but I rode western so mm-hmm. it's, it's totally different and I wasn't going nowhere near as fast as you were so my question for you with the riding and you having a basketball background mm-hmm. were there other people on your team that had other athletic backgrounds or all of them were like lifetime horse riders they had different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I know that um, a good portion of them grew up riding horses. And that, and actually, like, I rode Western. I rode English. Mm-hmm. I rode all different, even bareback. I wow. didn't care. I was um, scared of bareback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. So, you know, you sit there and go... It, it didn't matter if you had a passion. I think that's one thing that really sticks out. If you have a passion about something and you really want to learn it, you're going to do everything you need to to get it down and to get the rules in and make sure you can play Absolutely. and to get on that field because that's the most important part. I know most athletes, you're going to put that time and effort. You don't want to sit on the bench. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think your, uh, gave you an edge to be as competitive? Probably the time and effort. I was I was probably out there in in the field riding those horses more than anybody else on that team. I mean, there was a good portion, but I think I I stuck in the extra hours. And Mm. you have this what's called a mallet, which is like a – 
like a pole, you would swing mm-hmm. to hit the ball, and I would just go and go down the field and hit the ball, hit the ball, and run the horses. And you sit there and go, it's just time and effort. Absolutely. Who puts in most time and effort are the ones that winners. Winners. <laughs> I know. I know. Adam yeah. is a, a testament to that yeah. with his bodybuilding. He was there when nobody else was there, and this has been his lifelong thing. He is up late at night doing mm-hmm. his passions. <laughs> Putting in the time and effort. Absolutely. What do you think gave both of you that motor? I mean, where did that come from? Go ahead. So, you know, someone told me once, whenever you want to accomplish something is be the first one to show up Mm -hmm. and be the last one to leave. Absolutely. And um, it kind of goes in line with when you really want something, you commit to it, you have the vision on how you want to accomplish it, and then you just go for it with never giving up. Relentless, relentless mm-hmm. um, activity and action and, um, and just following through. Absolutely. And, and speaking of that, especially in the world of sports, and we talk about never giving up, overcoming adversity, discipline, and all of those things, let's, let's dive into, because once we get to a higher level, no one's going to push you. You have to push yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really what separates the winners from the losers. So, like, what kept you focused to do that? Because it is easy to say, I don't want to use the term quitting, but saying I'm taking a break, and then now the person that's coming for your spot has just surpassed you a ton of times. What were some of the tools that both of you used to keep your edge? Um, I think most of all was that, you know, you look at in, in the business world, you look in the athletic world, and your biggest com- uh, proponent against you is really yourself. Mm. Um, it's the way you think about yourself, the mental game. It's more than just a sport. It's what you think, how you believe in yourself. Do you see yourself accomplishing it? Yeah. And that personal drive to say, I can do better. I want to get this, and I'm going to keep going until I get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about you? Yeah, you know, in in bodybuilding, you have a mirror, right? You the way that you really um, track your results, if you will, is is you don't compare yourself to somebody else when you when you actually when you do the posing and when you you're really looking at to see what whether there are significant changes. In the business world, is a little bit different, right? But it's really the same in a sense where you want to be the best version of yourself. The surrounding is just a measurement to see, like, how am I compared to other people? And, you know, if I want to take it to the next level, I have to elevate myself or raise the bar beyond beyond my current situation. And every adversity, everything that doesn't seem like it is good, it's not in a judgment of whether it's good or bad. It's how can I get better? How do I learn from this? And really, from every challenge and every um, what you know, some might perceive loss or um, you know or, or um, challenge. Mm-hmm. We look at it as like, great, that's a phenomenal lesson for me. Here's what I'm learning from this. Here's how I'm going to take it to the next level, and in being relentless about uh, not giving up. Absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, athletics is so competitive. Share with me some of you guys' biggest challenges that you had to face as athletes. Well, one thing I think that Adam and I like to always say is challenges are just growth opportunities. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So we like to put a fun twist on it. And uh, in terms of like the growth opportunities in athletics, I think one is is really the – 
like I lost a lot of weight. This is one thing that I went through. And you sit there and go, that took time and effort. And I think mm. sometimes looking at the things that you want in life, it's not going to happen right, right away. It's not an elevator to the top. Absolutely. It's running the marathon. It's really seeing that what I want it may take longer than what I expect. But if I keep at it, I'm going to get there. Absolutely. I totally agree. What about you? Yeah. Well, you know, I have a couple of those. But to go t with what Amanda was sharing about uh, challenges or opportunities, right? It's, it's, w I like to think of it as almost like being a flag into the gold mine that this is the, the challenge is a flag to a gold mine that now it's, it's actually revealing itself to me that there's a gold mine there, right? Okay. And so, so I run towards it now. Or before I used to, no adversity, right? You might, you, wow. you might hesitate, right? Right. Now you look. F I look for bigger problems because I know there's bigger opportunities there. Right? That's interesting. What What made you mentally shift? Like you know, everyone faces fear because it seems like whenever you see a challenge, that's the the fear kicks in, right? Sure. So when some people, I wouldn't say everyone runs away from it, but some people may tiptoe and be like, I gotta find a way <laughs> to go around, it. and you just go straight for it. Yes. How did you shift your mentality? mentality to, to think that way well um and it's gonna gonna answer your uh, previous question as well so i had in uh, 2004 i was playing basketball i was uh, actually coaching and i filled in for one of my students in um in a school in uh, brooklyn new york mm -hmm. and uh we're playing the game i'm filling in and then all of a sudden i got elbowed right in my voice box my throat and ended up waking up in a hospital, had tubes in my uh, throat, in my stomach, and I couldn't speak, I, couldn't, I just literally couldn't function for, um, for a while, but I couldn't speak or, or produce voice for over a year, let alone working out, mm -hmm. you know, and, and when you have something like that as an athlete and, and as a performer um, that I did in New York, um, your whole life, seems to be over mm. right and it's a um, um, very devastating thing for someone whose the entire life and career is based on the fundamentals of them being able to absolutely do those things <laughs> trust right? me yes i understand you that. know and that's that's really one of the reasons why i came to america to really <coughs> pursue my dreams here and so what do you do at that point right and so you know it's not taken away from the fact that it was a tough thing but but that was a beginning of a, a beginning of a transformation for me where i really started looking at okay what is the hidden gems or messages that i can learn from this opportunity from this challenge and you know and it takes time until really you come to this maturation and the process that we all have to go through but i ended up here in los angeles cuz i needed to have additional surgeries i had a few in new york and I need to have additional surgeries in um, in UCLA, mm -hmm. and I came here with no no money at all. Like I came with nothing and had to start everything from scratch again. Um, and this was after you were already top notch th bodybuilder. This is after I was top notch bodybuilder. Wow. This is after I performed in New York wow. and and had successful businesses. Um, this is you know uh, in 2004, <coughs> and so so. At the time, you think, why me? Why did it happen to me? You know, unfair, mm -hmm. right? All of those things that yep. it goes through our mind, right? Yep. We're all human. It, we're all going to go through the process. What we make it mean is what's, what's important. So 
So all of a sudden, I started seeing things a little bit, a little bit differently. And I said, you know, what if, what if God or the universe is showing me something, trying to show me something or tapping me on the shoulder and telling me, hey, your talent and skills, even though you try to focus is in a different area, but maybe you can do something more extraordinary for other people in a different area. Okay. And so I started pursuing that more and more. That's kind of how I got to the financial industry. And then today, fast forward, right? I'm married to a beautiful woman. Right. I run a successful firm in Beverly Hills. Right. I have a book that is coming out. That's I right. have a tech company that is, that is going to revolutionize the, the benefit industry. And so you look at it and you say, what if my challenge didn't happen to me? Mm. So would I be still pursuing fitness and bodybuilding? Would that, ena- would that have enabled me to do right. the things that I was able to do yeah. if I just resisted it, right? right? And so that taught me that, you know, we can look at what's happening to us as a challenge or we can look at it and try to figure out what's the subliminal messages that life is trying to communicate with us moving forward, because it's easy to do it moving backwards, right? Or looking backwards. Right. No, hold on. Let me take a pause on that. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is, this is what I'm talking about. I mean, this is what the show is about, transitioning. And it's, and it's interesting because your transition was at a different period of your life. Like, I give you an example. My transition was literally once I was done playing football. It's like, hey, I need to go into the real world and figure it out. You had already reached success. You already made another career transition. You're an entrepreneur. But now you have an injury. Yeah. And so your struggle, your battle is from a different perspective. It's like, oh, I wasn't expecting this but i need to go through this to take me to the next level that's interesting how was your transition well i think it's interesting and and i'll share because i think the the idea that living with things and and going through adversity is is something to be said and a lot of people go through a lot of adversity and a lot of time they don't talk about it or share but i'm going to share i'm a type 1 diabetic and i have been since i was two years old and (coughs) If you look at life and, and how you go through it, yeah, there are sucky days. Right. Just like in sports, there right. are losses mm-hmm. and you go, that sucked. Right. I wish I could have done this. I wish I could have done this. And I've had it for 30 years. And Adam can attest, I still get frustrated when it's out of range, right. so to speak, and it's not normal. But I think that when when you look at the transition and, and how you move about with the, those things you're working with, like I live with diabetes and it goes with me everywhere but I don't let that define my life sports has been a passion of mine and actually I've taken sports into our career because I love it so much and I love people and the passion behind it and there's still a love for the the college sport as well as the uh, professional Olympic all of it so now we get blessed with the opportunity to work with athletes so I don't think I ever hung hung the (laughs) the athlete (laughs) I never hung my jersey up Um, I just transitioned it to how can I how can I still be a part how can I still touch move inspire um, and touch others and help them to be able to have a life that they enjoy and love for many years wow I totally understand where you're coming from. Like it, it's, it's interesting, and I, and I don't want to sound too cliche, but it's like, it seems like everyone has battles and struggles, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like the moment we identify what it is, 
and we accept the challenge as an opportunity is when our lives transcend. Like, mm -hmm. you had this battle for all your life, but I'm telling you, you're a rock star. You do whatever you want when you want to do it. You bet. When other people would make <laughs> excuses and, yeah. and just settle for whatever. I mean, you coming from humble beginnings and you just taking a chance, you know, uh, giving yourself to an older gentleman saying, hey, I want to be under your ring. Take me on. I'll do whatever I have to do. And now look at you. Like, these are the things that athletes need to understand. These are transferable principles. Like, the things that drove us into sports, that same mentality is the reason why you're sitting here today and you're highly successful. And that's what these young athletes need to understand in life, especially not even young ones, even adults that still haven't figured out. I had conversations with friends who are my age, 35, 36, and it's just like they're going through life. It's like, hey, we need to, we need to get on board. You have what it takes to be a CEO. You can run whatever you want. You getting up at 5 in the morning to go run and lift weights or to go work on your craft, shoot 500 baskets, that's the mm -hmm. same thing it takes to run a business mm -hmm. so that's why I, I feel so honored to have you here on my show so this is going to help me actually segue to the next phase the entrepreneurial life so like <laughs> yeah. i said raise the bar financial group uh tell me about that first of all how did you get into the financial industry you know i was in the financial industry yeah it's an interesting industry so yes. how'd you get into it you learn a lot from you learn a lot um, <laughs> you know i was when i when i got injured i didn't have health insurance mm -hmm. And so I went from owning a whole bunch of businesses over the East Coast and um, losing everything just because I didn't prepare to have this types of injury. You know, you're buff, you're like young, you mm -hmm. think nothing, you think you're invincible, nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to change. And then it happens, it right? Happens. Yep. <laughs> and so um, 11 surgeries to uh, pay for most of it out of pocket costs a lot of money. Whoa. And so I, I came to L.A. to continue the surgeries, and I ended up, like, having literally no money. And um, I took a job at a, at a retail um, shop in uh, Beverly Hills, and um, I had a client. His name is Antoine, and he was really a wonderful, wonderful guy who bought a, a, an expensive watch from me. And, you know, he was really friendly and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, had great interpersonal relationship. Um, you know, he was just really warm. And I said, hey, uh, you know, Mr. Turner, would you mind me asking, like, what do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. And he goes, I'm in the financial services industry. And, and I said, you know, I've been reading this book, <laughs> Think and Grow Rich, ah, and yes. <laughs> Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, and, you know, I'm so eager to learn more about this industry. And I think that so many people don't know what the possibilities are, and I would love to be a part of it. And I don't know how and where and what to do and where to even start. Right. And he said, you know, that's interesting. I, I, I've been in the industry for a little while. If you want, uh, come over. We have a, a workshop, and I think it was like a few weeks afterwards. Mm -hmm. And... and um, and just see what we do, see if you like it. If, if that's what you like, I, I don't mind like showing you how to, the ropes. Mm. And, and I did. I came and I saw all of those young people and all of those like driven, mm -hmm. motivated individuals, you know, high energy yeah. in the room. And I remember this uh, gentleman said at the time, he said, you know, everybody's wearing their pants in the morning the same way. And uh, there's no reason why this person should make 
$50,000 a month and this person should make $50,000 a year because we, we all have the same opportunities. And it just resonated with me. And, you know, but more so, I saw the difference that it could make for other people in, in other people's lives. And I um, started part-time while working full-time as, um, as um, a sales manager at that boutique. And, um, you know, very quickly saw that I could make a huge impact and also do well by doing good for other people, even on a part-time basis. And I said, you know, what, what it would be like if I took it on as a full career mm-hmm. um, and really invested the time and efforts to learn, to learn it the right way. And um, I um, ended up with a Fortune 100 company and uh, climbed the ladder there to be, to be a top advisor. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know, last couple of years, I was the top national partner at, uh, at the firm. Right. So it's oh, cool. Wow. Amanda, how about your transition? How did you get involved? So I, um, I came out of school actually with a degree in marketing. Okay. And I, you know, you have these, these thoughts after college that you're going to be this director and you're going yeah. to have a team. And I thought I'd be, you know, writing slogans for Nike. Um, <laughs> not, not the case when you hit the real world. Right. Um, had to climb my way out. And I was in the marketing field and I felt like there wasn't any passion behind what I did. There wasn't a purpose. I wasn't making a difference in the world. So actually, I went back to school a couple years after being in marketing and got a teaching credential. Um, and I was actually licensed to teach kindergarten through eighth grade, but I put my application into a school and they said, can you teach algebra and geometry? And I was thinking, I, I took that in high school. <laughs> yes, I can. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I they would ask me, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, can I get taught yeah. before I teach again? <laughs> No, but it was a great experience. I actually taught high school for three years, and it was probably the best prep ground uh, for what we do today. And it really showed me, too, that it's not about what I'm doing or it's not about me. It's really about those kids. What are they learning? What are they doing? And I think, uh, and being on the stage, I mean, teacher, being a teacher is tough work. It's people think, oh, well, they get the summers off and they get all these holidays, but you're working 80 hours a week, and you have to be on every day it doesn't matter yeah you feel bad too bad you're in the front of the classroom so it was it was great and so when i before i met adam you know you make crackers as a teacher Mm -hmm. not much money in it they don't they don't pay what you should be paid so i was looking at what else could i do and i actually got into the financial industry before i met adam and thought i would try it out and it was a company that um, did not train or get me prepared and i didn't feel comfortable so i actually said you know i'm not too sure about that i don't feel i I feel like i'm a teacher i should be able to do say what i do and do what i say and so when i met adam and he was in the industry i we decided that at, at one point he was doing so well, and he's like, I need help. Come come, be, yeah. be a part of this team. Yeah. And I thought, how fun would that be? We could work together. <laughs> I think it sped up our, our, our uh, relationship because now we've been together like twice as long as what some people would seem because right. <laughs> we're working together. We live together. We play together. We give back together. And we have right. a lot of fun in doing it. But, yeah, it's been a – it's been quite the growth opportunity, and and now with our own firm, we did well at the other uh, other location, and now this is our baby, raised the bar financial group, and now we're able to really build something that we have passion and purpose, and really giving back to people and doing good, like he said, by 
by helping them. Absolutely. I, I, I totally <clears throat> agree with what you're saying there. So when it comes to the, the, the financial market, especially dealing with athletes, what are some of the things that you're seeing? Because you're working with athletes. What are some of the mistakes that you're seeing these athletes make financially? Well, I think one thing is, you know, if you're looking at some of the top players, usually there's a signing bonus, there's there's money coming in, and a lot of time it's it's looking at not today, it's looking at tomorrow, looking at what the what would life be like after I'm done, and what happens if I get injured while I'm in this, and I'm planning on because I'm young, like Adam said, I'm young, I'm buff, and I'm yep. I'm going to be able to last, I'm I'm invincible. Um, so I think it's just looking at, it's, it's not that anybody does anything right or wrong. I think it's just a matter of what do you know? It's education and having the right people around you. A lot of athletes out there, thank God, have good advisors and some may have ones that maybe aren't giving the best advice. Mm -hmm. It just depends on the situation. And you have athletes at all different levels. Right. You have some that are in the minor leagues. You have some professionals. You have Olympic athletes. It's right. all different. So it's really looking at their situation and saying, where are you at? Where do you want to be? How do we make sure to ensure what your lifestyle is today, that that's going to be what you're going to have Absolutely. after your sport? Absolutely. Now, you both being ex-athletes, do you think that it's, I don't want to use the word easier, but uh, a better segue to make those connections with athletes because you understand where they're coming from? It's, it's almost like, like you said, teaching, right? I mentor that young man that's sitting across, right? So if I tell him something, it's hard for him to question it because I'm like, hey, listen, I've been where you're trying to go. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not just blowing hot smoke. So, like, do you, I mean, do you kind of use that same, like, life experience? Like, I understand where you're coming from. That's why I'm here to help. Yeah, there's definitely do uh, common denominators mm -hmm. between, you know, people who have either affinities to it or been around and, and have done it for most of their life and they're passionate about it and they know what that dedication to, uh, you know, something important is, right? Uh, but I think at the end of the day is really caring about people and, and supporting their vision and really helping them, right, reverse engineer what they want to accomplish, right, right? And, and understanding what it is that goal that they might have, right? Because in sports, mm -hmm. they have a very specific and defined goal. Right. Right? Right. But when they get out, you know, sometimes it could be very confusing. Right. It's like, wh where am I doing now? And I have this saying that I share with my, my, uh, the people that I work with is when we aim at nothing – we hit it with great accuracy. Absolutely. And so we just help them clarify what it is that they want and then find the best, the most efficient, the most optimal, optimal way for them to accomplish this. Right. And, and again, reverse engineering. Absolutely. I mean, something that I observed when I was in the industry, I mean, there's advisors and people that's willing to help everywhere. The problem is it's the athletes, it's the culture. One, um, having enough knowledge to even know what questions to ask or who to go find. Two, having enough courage and faith to trust someone else with your financial future. But like I said, it takes education to understand that. So like there needs to be more people like yourselves, um, you know, spreading the word saying, hey, I'm doing this to help because I understand. And people need to get behind it so that it's something normal. 
You know, I think that was the, the the issue. I was talking to a lot of friends that were in the league and playing. It's not even normal. It's almost like t- having a conversation about <laughs> losing your virginity or something. Yeah. Like it shouldn't be an awkward <laughs> right. conversation, man. Right. Like it should right. be an open you, conversation. You, you know, money is a you, what we found through this journey is money is a very intimate thing. Like people mm-hmm. don't want to talk about it. They're not open to it sometimes, mm-hmm. right? And it's and sometimes it's like you said, it's it's. It's because there is a certain relationship that we develop with money, it, whether it came from home, we learn from. It's not things that we learn in school. Mm-hmm. And this is why how my book came out, the, the, you know, ra- Raising the Bar um, and the, the financial powerhouse program that it's going to be um, starting through the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because, you know, I had the, the honor to work with underserved kids in schools all over L.A., with a nonprofit that I was involved with at, at, at the time. And I just saw how the light bulb and had turned on with kids who just, we taught them very basic information that, oh, here's how you balance a check. Right. Here's, how, here's what credit card is. Here's how it works. Here's what you should stay away from. Mm-hmm. Here's how investments work. Here's our fees. Here's right. what to avoid, Right. Here's what you want, compound interest, right? Right. Um, so stuff that, you know, we gave them examples and visuals so they could really see what it is. But, you know, it was it was something that they could take, w- take with them and it's life altering. And all of a sudden what they learned in the past, whether consciously or, un- or unconsciously, right, is now shifting. And their relationship with money, because they understand it now better... Mm-hmm it's a little bit more comfortable. Absolutely. Right? Because they're more familiar with the terminology. And, right. and, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of that going on. You're absolutely right. I was joking with some, I forget the conversation. I was like, if I had the, the, the power to, if I was mentoring a group of kids, I would literally let them hold 10,000. Mm-hmm. Like just to see what it yeah. feels like. Mm-hmm. So it can get to a point to where it's normal. Like you said, a lot of people are intimidated by yeah. it. So if you're intimidated by it, like it, it shuts off your, your, your valve on no, having a clear uh, point of view and understanding on it. So it's making it normal. And you're planting those seeds at those early ages so when they get to the point to where they have to make important decisions financially it's not an intimidating decision it's like hey i know how to it's clockwork by Mm -hmm. that point in time Mm -hmm. and definitely um that's one of the things i also want to talk about uh when it comes to just business in general whether it be you being in the financial industry you being an entrepreneur what are some of the challenges that you faced well, I think rejection is one of the things that you, you know, yeah. if you, yeah. if you're a true entrepreneur, you're going to call call and you're going to knock on doors yeah. and you're going to prospect and you're going to, you know, hustle and bustle, right? All day long. So, you know, there's a lot of no's, mm-hmm. right? You get a lot of no's. Not everybody is like, okay, let's open the door. Of course, you can come in and sell me everything, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> do like, like, come on, what's your salary? Let's go. Let's make How much was the checkbook? Let's yeah, right, go. Exactly, right. doesn't work like that, yeah. right? In the movies, it might be, but yeah. it's, you know, not in real life. And so, um, you know, and then you have ups and downs, right? We all emotional beings and we all like sometimes let ourselves like our emotion takes us. And so, you know, I think a constant reminder that every no gets you closer to a yes, um, that you're doing it for a bigger purpose, that you are learning from every one of those no's and how would I ha- had handled that 
different for how would I handle it different for the next time right. and you just keep learning and you keep growing and you keep seeking out information and mentorship from others absolutely and uh, no is not scary when you do it over and over and over again because the worst thing that could happen mm-hmm. is you get no yeah. right and and the fear of it right we, we, we know fear is false evidence appearing real is that you you know, you gotta say that again. You right. gotta say that again. They need to hear that. They need to hear that. It's fear is false evidence appearing real. Absolutely. So it's it's um you know it's just a smoke screen. Yeah. You know to uh, let us play smaller, and so we overcome. We remove that smoke, or we go through it, and then we find out. Oh wow, this is huge opportunity for me now. Right. I mean, it's just like sports. I mean, we lose more than we win i mean i play i played football so as a corner a receiver is going to catch the ball on me more than i get an interception so the moment you understand that and just understand that hey that's just part of the process you're able to look at it differently and that's what got me through in sales is understanding that a lot of people are going to say no that's the worst thing it's not like someone's going to shoot me (laughs) 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 so i was like just just well i don't know know. (laughs) 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 amanda what are some of the things that that you uh, face um, I think that the the lack of planning sometimes you have to really have a plan especially going into the business realm um, if it be marketing if it be the structure of the business uh, you don't want to wing anything right and a lot of us sometimes do yeah and so I think that my my uh, I think God-given gift was building systems mm-hmm. So I have taken from the athletic side of I'm going to figure out how to do this right and make it a system for myself yeah. in sports. I've brought that into the in the business world, and now I build systems and I make sure that everybody's running and efficient. And how can we get everything done? And and always looking how can it be better? Right. And I think that you know you never think that uh, it's perfect and done. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. always how can we make it better? Yes. How can we do it? You know how can we change it up to make it more efficient? So Absolutely. yeah. So. As entrepreneurs, what are what are some of the things that keep you up at night? <laughs> I know, I know huh? Yeah. The neighbor, the yeah. neighbor that yeah. snores yeah. upstairs. That's a good one. I think it's all the ideas. You yeah. know, I think I think this one sitting next to me uh, has more ideas than he can handle it sometimes. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think running out of time before I can live the legacy that I want to leave uh, for the next generation, for the people, the community around me. I think that that's really what keeps me up at night. Okay. Mm-hmm. I definitely understand that. What about you? I think it's getting getting everything done that we want to get done before, yeah, before the end. You know, you sit there and go, yeah, there's only a few things that yeah. you know that are going to happen in life. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's one of them. And we have a lot of things on the plate that we want to accomplish. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> Got to get there. I bet 95% of entrepreneurs, like, that's my fear. Yeah. Like, when it's all said and done, like, I didn't get a chance to leave this impact. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, but that's what creates that urgency yeah. for yeah. us. Like, we got to go do it because we never know. Mm-hmm. We got to set this up. We have to have it. So, at least yeah. it lets me know. I feel more secure that I'm <laughs> I have the right. The yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, Adam, I want to talk more about this book. Tell me a little bit. Dive, let's dive in about this book that you, that you have coming out. So the book is um, primarily for millennials, but it's it's really not only for millennials. It's mm-hmm. for uh, we call it millennials and beyond. 
and the title is Raising the Bar. And what it essentially, it takes the reader through the journey of, you know, uh, my adversities and what every adversity taught me and how I was able to turn it into an opportunity, how being homeless taught me how important it is to have a home and to really build something and invest and really not be in that position later, right? Um, and then f what the goal is in every chapter is to shift something in a reader's mind in their relationship with money, on how they perceive money, how to demystify some of those you know, um, um, lingos and, and words that may not seem uh, familiar at this point, how to be strong with the dignity that we have, with the ability to think like, yeah, I can make a million dollars a year and really have full conviction right. about it, right? Um, how to build the infrastructure step by step uh, through every chapter on like l unlearning the negative lessons about money and um, and relearning or, or learning new ways to think about you know quality of life, standard of living, and then. And then do that with humility, so when they are successful, you know how, what to do with it, right? Yeah. And so, so it takes them through the mindset. It takes them through truth, practical financial lessons, how to build efficiencies in their dollar, mm -hmm. and how to learn things that that most people spend a lifetime not being able to gather all the information because today you know yeah. we have a lot of information out there yeah but it's but getting the right information it's, it's getting Absolutely. the right information in one place and, and in this book it sounds like this is more than just a financial book this is a, this is a life skill book yes i mean because all of that kind of revolves around that mm -hmm. this is this is a must a must read when is it going to drop what's the date so we're designing the cover now okay. so we're uh looking at about eight to ten weeks okay that we're gonna all right. We're going to launch. Well, we got to get behind that. I want yeah. my copy. <laughs> of course. <yeah. laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So what other projects are you working on? So, you know, one of the things that happen when you are in a financial industry, you see people's struggles. You see um, what they would like to have in their life. You see what impacts them. You see what's the stresses that they are going through. Um, this particular one is um, uh, near and dear to my heart is being able to shift the conversation from um, uh, employers offering benefits to the employees because that's what traditionally has been offered in the past right. where this one we kind of flipping the, the, the chart if you will and we saying what if we could create a consumer centric benefits that the employee has the opportunity to say hey, you know, I may not care so much about my 401k, even though it's important, but right now my first priority is to pay for my student, student loan, loan right. debt, for mm -hmm. example. Or I really want to buy a house in the next two to three years. My first priority now is to buy a house. I, You know, I want to go to this vacation in Venice or I want right. to go, right? Um, so we created a benefit package that is just that. And um, it has a lot of tools that... Um, we essentially find money for the employee uh, through both employer contribution and then other sources that essentially drive that goal for that individual um, and helps them get 
you know, you know, to wow. their goals much, much sooner. So wow. it's called virtue because we felt that, you know, yeah. it has to come from a, a good place. Absolutely. And um, and um, we're very, very excited about it. I am too. So Amanda, was this one of the things that we were talking about that keeps them up at night? These ideas? <laughs> <You bet. laughs> These type of groundbreaking <laughs> ideas? Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, this right. is this is amazing. Um just the stuff that, that you're doing for the community, your practice. I mean, it's I can't wait to see <laughs> what yeah. the future lies. Speaking yeah. of the future, like pick that picture for me. What if we were to sit down five years from now, what does that look like personally, professionally? What what does that look like for you? Well, for me is I will dedicate my my whole life is really for mentorship and and really teaching the the lessons that I've learned through this evolution um, to other people and being able to do that you know every day that that's that's really what I'm looking for in, yeah. in five years you know building the firm and having that self sustain and and mentoring others to manage firms like that and and then just dedicating my life to helping mentor people about entrepreneurship and about financial education awesome what about you amanda i know that's a tough question <laughs> <laughs> it's good it's good um you know i think that as as a look forward obviously we have a lot of things on the docket and a few things um in the works and i think seeing those things come to fruition mm -hmm. um not being an idea anymore actually being reality will be really really fun to right. have that be in the in the works and and alive and i think that you know maybe having a family um we have a fur baby yeah um <laughs> but maybe having a family and 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 having that route and giving back i think one thing that I've always been thankful for our people that just devote their lives to giving back. And I would love to, you know, do well so I can give back and give back not only with my time as I as we've done for many years, but also give back with money Absolutely. and give back with, you know, connecting people. I think one of my favorite things to do ever is just connect people together. Yes. yes. I get so excited when I can connect an organization yes. to an individual or a speaker yes. to this. And, and this is what she does. I'm living proof. She does that. <laughs> and yes. it's fun for me and you know if I can get to a place where that's just just what I get to do mm -hmm. and oh yeah by the way I have a couple businesses um, <laughs> that would be great awesome yeah. awesome well listen let everyone know where they can find you social media website uh, what's what's the handle yeah so rtbfinancialgroup.com mm -hmm. is um, where they can learn more about what we do on, on the financial services side um, the uh, virtuebenefits.com um, it's we're going to make it public probably in the next four weeks okay um, oh, right on time a lot of building yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and then Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, just Adam Barr. Adam Barr. You'll probably get some muscle pictures <laughs> on the internet first. And yeah, they got to gotta see the old, the old pictures. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you know, what you said earlier about how horses and uh, muscle come together, and, and you just gave me a great idea because it's uh, horsepower 
Well, horsepower. That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. That's how. That's horse how we power. came together. That's, that's We're that horsepower. Right that's, the <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the name of the business. <laughs> exactly. So the next that's business is going to go horsepower. Awesome, awesome. Well, listen, <laughs> it was great having you on my show. Like I said, you are always welcome to come back. I got to get you again once the uh, the app launches and once the book comes out so we can talk about that and, and do some other things. Uh, I consider you guys family, so I'm glad that you were here to not only share your story but share your knowledge. So for everyone out there listening, this is Jabari K. Smith. You know where to find me, Jabari K. Smith at gmail.com, Jabari K. Smith at Instagram, Jabari K. Smith Twitter, as well as Facebook. And once again, I want everyone to be positive, be productive. And this is The Professional Athlete. I'm out, y'all. RTB Financial Group and Insurance Service is not a subsidiary or affiliate of Mass Mutual Life Insurance Company or its affiliate companies.